for this statement. And uh, I want to just give you a couple of scriptures uh, right out of the gate uh, about uh, that, that really kind of ground us into why we can say that. It's biblical, by the way. Uh, it's not an arrogant statement. It's not a boastful statement. Uh, it's, it's a biblical statement. In fact, the Bible has a lot to say about our motivation for affection for the house of God. I, let me just give you a couple verses and, and you can just listen to these. Psalm 27 verse 4. It, it says this to us. One thing I ask from the Lord. This only do I seek. That I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. To gaze on the beauty of the Lord and to seek Him in His temple. That was the one thing that He wanted. I want to be in God's house. I want to be in the place where God's glory is. Psalm 84 verse 1 and 2 says this. How lovely is your dwelling place, Lord Almighty. My soul yearns, even faints, for the courts of the Lord. My heart and my flesh cry out for the living God. He goes on to say this in verse 10. Better is one day in your courts than a thousand elsewhere. I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in the tents of the wicked. That was the heart of the psalmist. I, I would rather just stand at the door and let other people into God's house than have a seat of comfort in the house of the wicked. Then Psalms 26 verse 8 says this. It says, Lord... I love the house where you live. Isn't that a great verse? The place where your glory dwells. I love the house where you live. I want to tell you this morning that Jesus is the Lord of the church. Jesus loves the church. He's invested in the church. And he's invested uh, in his authority over the whole universe for the sake of the church. Here's what the Bible says in Colossians 2, or Colossians 1, verse 18. Talking about Jesus, it says, He is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning of the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything, He might have supremacy. Ephesians 1, 22 gives us the motivation for Jesus' authority in the universe. Listen to this powerful verse. And God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be the head over everything. Now, we know that if you've been in church, if you've uh, served the Lord for very long, you know Jesus is the authority. He said all power and authority has been given unto me. But look at the last part of this verse. God placed him under him, all authority. He appointed him as the head over everything for the church. The reason that God gave Jesus authority over everything was for our sake. Isn't that cool? For the church, everything has been placed under Jesus' authority. And so, for the next several weeks, we're going to talk about all of the, the things that we love and, and how we should and why we should love the church that Jesus is working for with His authority. But before we, we do that this morning, I just want to really lay a foundation. I just want to give you an introduction. and I want to talk about the title a little bit. I love my church. Let me talk about the I for just a second. Because this is not going to be several weeks of personal testimony time. This is not just about me loving the church. My heart and my desire for this series is that this would become personal for you. 
that, that you would say, I love my church. That each and every one of us would say personally, and here's why it has to be personal. If we can just translate this into our relationship with the Lord, who we just read is the head of the body, which is the church. Nobody can love Jesus for you. Amen? No, nobody can get saved for you. Nobody can pray uh, in your place to have a relationship with God. God is the father, but he has no grandchildren. You understand? Nobody's, nobody's going to get to heaven and say, well, my grandmother prayed all the time. Well, that's nice. But we each have to have a personal relationship with Jesus. It has to be something personal in our lives. And there's no one that can take your place in the local church either. There's no one that can that can do specifically what God's called you to do. If you're a child of God, you were saved with a purpose. Not just to have eternal life in heaven, but to have eternal life right now. At the moment you were saved, something begins. Your life has a new birth and new purpose. And there's something that God wants you to do that nobody else can do. And that's why it's important that, that this becomes personal. That, that you can say, I love my church. Because everything that God has called us to do, guess what? He called us to do. Look around. There's no second string in the kingdom of God. There's no A team and B team. There's not like, well, the starting lineup and then the rest of us that just kind of ride pine all season and, you know, get to heaven. That's not the plan of God. Everything that he's called us to do, he called us to do it. And that means everything that he wants you to do, here's the good part, he's equipped you for it. He's given you every resource that you need to do the thing that he's called you to do. Your talents, your abilities, the, the experiences that you've had, all of those come together. Your gifting by the Holy Spirit. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians 12, at the point of salvation, the Holy Spirit gives gifts to men. He knows what He had assigned for you and He gifted you. And that gift, coupled with your talent, your experience, your abilities, your relationships, is going to foster a unique ministry that He's called us as the church to do. So it begins with a personal commitment to say, I, I love my church. And so this is my prayer for this series, that, that you would move from a place, every one of us, that we would move from a place of saying someone should to I will. Because we've all heard those someone should statements before, right? You know, boy, you know what? Somebody should start this ministry. Or we feel, we feel impressed. We see a need and our hearts touched and we go, man, I wish somebody would do that. Someone should. I want the Holy Spirit to move us from someone should to I will. To say, you know, it's one thing to just see a need, but God has called us to meet needs. And so I, my prayer is that, that each of us, wherever you're at in your commitment to the Lord, in your relationship with the church, that you would take a couple steps forward in this series and say, I will. I will. I'll volunteer for that. I'll, I'll help with that. You know, there were some people yesterday that came up to the church and, and they helped us clean. We had a spring cleaning day and we were pulling weeds and stuff. I want to tell you, pulling weeds is not my spiritual gift. But I will. Right? I mean, not everything we do has to be our calling, right? Sometimes we kind of, oh, it's not really my gifting. Just loving the church enough to say, you know what, I will. 
I will. Now, there's things we're called to do and things we're not called to do. And and we need to discern those things. But I've discovered in my own life that the way I discover the, the giftings in my life is through service. If you wait to find your gifting before you serve, you'll never find it. If you jump in and just say, not someone should, but I will. Even if you try and fail, you didn't really fail. You go, okay, that's definitely not my gifting. I'm not doing the two and three year old class ever again. Not my gifting. Try a different age group. Jump in somewhere else. But when we say, I will, God begins to pull us into a passion that he's gifted us and called us for. And we find ourselves, boy, we're ignited with passion. We can't wait to get to church. And it's not because we want to receive something, but because there's something in us that we want to deposit in the body of Christ. I love my church. Let me talk about that word love for just a minute. Because that's a big word in the Bible. And it's a... It's a, a word that has a lot of meanings in our culture and sometimes no meaning at all. And, you know, people say, I love my wife. And then they'll turn around and say, I love hot dogs, you know. And hopefully they don't mean the same thing. Hopefully. But we use that word love and we just throw that word around and it can mean this or it can mean that or it can mean nothing at all. But the Bible, in the languages that the Bible was written in originally, they had a lot of different words for love. So they could use a different word. We just have love. We say love and we just hope that you understand that I love hot dogs a lot less than I love my wife. But in the, in the languages the Bible was written in, they had different words. And so I want you to understand what it means to, to love the church. One of those words is hesed. It's a Hebrew word and it means covenant keeping love. Faithful love. Love that holds a promise. Love that says I'm going to I'm going to be faithful to my friend. I'm going to be faithful to my spouse. Covenant keeping love is is keeping a promise. And and it's not just keeping a promise, but it's it's keeping a promise even if the other person doesn't hold up their end of the deal. That's hesed. That's a powerful kind of love. There's a lot of people that say, I love my church, but they don't hesed the church. Because as soon as somebody does something they don't like, or they get bothered by something, they leave that church, and they go find them another church to love for a while, on their own terms. But biblical love says, I'm, I'm a covenant keeper. I, I'm, I'm committed to love the church. And, and because it's keeping covenant, even if the other person doesn't necessarily hold up their end of the deal, it's the kind of love that God had for the children of Israel when they kept going wayward and He stayed faithful. That was the hesed of God. That was the love of God. And because it has that dynamic to it, it, it has a dynamic of grace to it. Hesed love is, is demonstrating grace to other people. When they need it. It's, it's kindness. It's, it's mercy. And so that's why the King James uh, version translates that word hesed with words like loving kindness. Here, here's a, a scripture out of the King James Bible. It just, it's such a perfect translation of the word. It says, because thy loving kindness, hesed, because thy loving kindness is better than life, my lips shall praise thee. What a beautiful verse. The translators of the Revised Standard Version, they gave us another great word to describe hesed. They use the word steadfast love to express the covenant-keeping love of God. Have mercy on me, Psalm 51.1 says. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love. Not according to how good I've been. 
man, if God had mercy on us according to how good we've been, how many of you know we'd all be struck dead already? I mean, lightning bolts have been hitting you as soon as you stepped in the church today. It's funny, some people joke about coming to church and go, oh, I couldn't come to church because, boy, the, the, you know, the building would cave in if I walked through. They don't understand the Hesed love of God. They think God's going to love them according to their good standards. But God loves us according to His mercy. He's a covenant-keeping God. The, the, the building's not going to collapse on you today. He loves you. He's for you. And that's the kind of love that He's called us to share. That's the same kind of love that Paul talked about when he said this. He said, I'm convinced that, that nothing... Neither life, nor angels, nor rulers, things present, things to come, nor powers, nor heights, nor depths. Not anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God. Hesed. He loves us. Hesed love is that kind of love that won't separate. It's the kind of love that Ruth had for Naomi when she said, Your people will be my people and your God will be my God. I got a question for you this morning. Can you say... I hesed my church. Come on, try it with me. I hesed my church. That's what the heart means. I have a love for God that is a covenant-keeping love. Here's another kind of love the, the Bible talks about. In the Old Testament, there's a word, rakham. A little harder to say. But it, it means womb. Like a pregnant mother. It means womb. Or it can mean compassion. And it's a word picture. That word, rakam, is a word picture of, of the tenderness of the love of God. Just the same way uh, a mother, an expectant mother, has compassion and love for the child that's growing in her womb. That's the way the father looks at us. In fact, that's the way that the apostle Paul looked at his relationship as a pastor to the church. He looked at it as a, a nursing mother. He said this in 1 Thessalonians 2.7. Paul said, we were gentle among you like a nurse tenderly caring for her own children. It's a, a compassionate love. If you love the church with a, a New Testament biblical love, then that means you're concerned with the needs of others. That means you're moved with compassion for other people. That means you don't come into God's house just to kind of get something for yourself. But there's an awareness about what God is doing in the service. We're not bothered when there's extra time spent praying for somebody's specific need. No, we, we lean into that moment. We're moved towards that moment. We want to participate in that moment. We're not bothered when, when someone uh, receives a, a special offering to, to help somebody out. And you go, oh man, we all got needs. I mean, why does his need matter? No, no. We're moved with compassion. Because there's a, a rakam kind of love that we have for our church. It says, man, this... I want to be a, I'm moved with compassion. There's a tenderness, a loving care towards the church. You know, it's funny. Some people say, I love my church, but if somebody sits in their seat at their church, they will let them know about it. That's not Raham kind of love. That, that, that's a self-centered love. That's, I love my church on my terms, my way, get out of my seat. I love my church at the right temperature. I love my church when they sing my song. But a tenderness, a tenderness says, man, I, I just love what God's doing, not just in my life. I love what God's doing in your life. I love God, what God's doing in everyone else's life. And, and we ought to have that awareness of other people when we come together to worship. It's not just, well, this is my church. 
It's not a self-centered statement. It's a compassionate love that we have. Can you say, I rakham my church? I can't promise you I'm telling you to say that right. I'm no, I'm no Greek or Hebrew expert, but we're going to try it anyway. We got the meaning. Let me tell you about one more kind of love in the Bible. It's a word phileo. It, it means to love. It means to hug. It means to kiss. Don't get nervous. It means uh, when you put all those things together, it means to like. Like genuinely like the church. Phileo is where we get Philadelphia, the city of brotherly love. The most contradictory name for a city ever. <laughs> those Eagles fans, man. They're a hard bunch. Hard on a Cowboys fan. No love in the city of brotherly love. But phileo means liking. Now, I know that sounds a lot less significant. I mean, what if we had called the series, I like my church? Like, yeah! But in all honesty, you know, when you think about the life of Jesus, he wasn't persecuted, he wasn't crucified for who he loved. That wasn't the indictment against him. The indictment was he's the friend of sinners. What was unacceptable to the religious people was who Jesus chose to like. He liked them. He genuinely enjoyed spending time with tax collectors and, and the, the prostitutes and the sinners. And, and, and he enjoyed their, He liked being with them. And that bothered the religious people. It's funny. There's, there's some people that they, they say, I love my church. I phileo my church, but they don't really spend any time with anybody in the church except for like 10.30 to 12 o'clock. And I just want to encourage you to love your church, to phileo your church, to have the kind of love that says, you know, I, I like these people. I'm going to build a relationship with these people. And if there's people that I don't like, I'm going to see that as the the pruning of the Holy Spirit to work on the rough edges in me. So I'm going to just lean into that relationship anyway, even though they they like stressed me out a little bit. Like that probably, you know, reveals a weakness. I need patience or something. And so I'm just going to love them anyway. You know what? I'm going to even go so far as to like them. I'll actually not just stand down the pew from them, but I'll actually talk to them for a while. I'll go have lunch with them. And there's some people that go, oh, I love my church. And they have no friends in the body of Christ. Everything outside of the scheduled Sunday service happens with unchurched people, co-workers, neighbors, family. And those relationships are all important. But do you like the church? Do you have a relationship with the body of Christ? Come on, try to say it with me. I phileo my church. I want to tell you about one more kind of love. That's agape. Now agape, that's, that's the pinnacle. That's the, that's the love of God. And it really, it's not really that agape is its own form of love. Agape is really all these other loves rolled into one. It, it's, it's, if you took all the expressions of love and said, man, what's the fullest expression of all those forms of love? The loving kindness, the compassion, the, uh, the friendship. It's demonstrated in this. When God chose to send his son to the cross, he had compassion for us. He was covenant keeping. He chose to befriend us. That was agape love that turned 
his head away and let his son die on the cross. It was agape love in the Garden of Gethsemane when Jesus said, not my will, but yours be done. He didn't want to go to the cross. Nothing in his humanity wanted to die and be tortured and be beaten and have his beard plucked out of his face. Nothing in his humanity wanted the cross, but agape love said, not my will, but yours be done. Agape love is that self-sacrificing love. Agape is decision love. It's not emotion love. Emotion love is cheap. It's easy. A lot of people get married on emotion love, and then when the honeymoon ends, they try to figure out what happened. Because it was emotion love. And they fell in. If you fall into something, you can fall out of it. Don't fall in love. Make a decision. Make a decision. Grow in love. Be planted. Be rooted in love. That's what agape is. It's decision love. Agape is a decision to make a sacrifice. And a lot of people say, I love my church, but they're not willing to sacrifice. They're not willing to invest their time, their talents, their resources. They're not willing to defer to somebody else's needs or or, or preferences. You know, it's sad testimony that there's a lot of churches in America that are dying or dead today because the people that once thrived in the church refused to agape the next generation. And so because they wouldn't love people that worshipped a little differently, they wouldn't love people that dressed a little differently or read from a different translation, the church is dying. But agape is a mature believer that makes a decision. You go, this isn't my preference. But man, people are getting saved. I choose to love my church. I, I, I choose to worship with that song, I, I choose to follow along in a Bible translation that I don't really like to read out of personally. I, I choose to love my church. I agape my church. Can you say that with me? I agape my church. I love the church. Let me talk about the my. I love my church. I want to just say in this first message, we understand whose church it is. This is Jesus' church. He's the Lord of the church. In fact, if you feel a little bit funny saying my church, that's okay. Because I'm kind of, I'm kind of careful that way too. I don't talk about Wrightsville Assembly of God as my church. It kind of just feels a little weird to me sometimes. Uh, to, to be that way. And so we understand whose church it is. It's the Lord's church. Jesus never put a guarantee on what I was building. He said, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. So anything else that we build that's not in alignment with his church is a house of cards. That thing will just collapse on its own self-made foundation. But Jesus said, I'll build my church. But the reason I say I love my church is because there's a difference in attenders and in owners you know like yesterday we were we were here uh you know working in the yard and my hands were covered in dirt and and jackie said hey have you seen my new car yet i said no i hadn't seen it and i came over and she said don't touch it (laughs) she was thinking like an owner she just wanted to make sure that with my dirty hands i was thinking like an owner and not just a passenger you know when your kids get in your brand new car and like stick their feet up on the leather and you know, but you're, like, ah! you know, you cringe. That new couch, 
They come in and throw their feet up on it. Owners think different than passengers and attenders. So this is my church. And you ought to say that too. This is my church. I take pride in what God is doing here. Not that I'm building it or that it's for my glory or anything like that. But the fact that I want to take ownership. You know, Jesus talked about the difference between shepherds and hired hands. The difference in a shepherd and a hired hand is the hired hand sits there uh, counting the hours so that he can get paid. And if he's got about 10 minutes left on the clock and some wolf comes out of the woods and goes to attack one of the sheep, he's going to go, well, that one's a goner. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm officially off the clock. I mean, that's unfortunate, but, you know. But the shepherd doesn't feel that way. The shepherd leaves the 99 and goes after the one lost one. He fights for the sheep. He protects the sheep. And that's the attitude that we should have in the church. That, man, this is my church. I love the church. I care about the church. I take pride in what God is doing in this church. And I want to be a builder of the church. The Bible says, we are the body of Christ and each one of you is a part of it. Each one of us is a part of it, which means we, we succeed together. And on some level, we succeed together and we struggle together. You know, I, last week I wasn't here and many of you know I did a mountaineering trip up in uh, New Hampshire the last piece of equipment that I bought for the trip, it was actually in New Hampshire. I stopped at like a local drugstore and I bought a patilla band for my knee. And I did that because I've had enough previous experience to know that coming down the mountain uh, starts to hurt my right knee. And I thought, you know, if, if, my, if my right knee gives out on me, I can't just leave it up there and enjoy the rest of the trip. It's part of my body. Like, it's going to affect the whole descent. That's just, you know, I can't just, I can't just forget about it. And that's the way that the church ought to be. We're a part of a body. If one suffers, then, then we all suffer. And, and when one celebrates and has cause for that, we celebrate together. And, and God wants us to have that sense of being a part of a body. If my church is sick, I'm staying with it till it gets better. I'm not just amputating from the body and saying, well, yeah. You're sick, I'm going to go over here. No, 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 I'm, I'm going to be faithful. I'm going to be committed. See it through to health again. And if we summit a mountain, we make it together. Amen? We're going to summit it together. Let me talk about the church. I love my church. The church is not this building. We say, hey, let's go to church, and we know we mean here, but the church is not a building. When Jesus said, the gates of hell will not prevail against the church that I'm building, he was not talking about brick and mortar. He was not... Uh, talking about building strong uh, buildings. We are the body of Christ. We are the church. And I, let me just remind all of us today that the church that Jesus is coming back for is, is one church. It's the capital C church. The Bible says that we have one spirit, one baptism, one faith, one Lord. And when Jesus comes back, he's not coming back for the Assemblies of God church. He's not coming back for the Methodist church or the Presbyterian church. He's coming back for the capital C church, the bride of Christ. And we're a part of that church. And, and I'm excited to be a part of that church. I love the capital C church that God is building around the world. I'm grateful to be a part of it. But I also love the, the lowercase c church. That, that's, that's our unique expression of the body of Christ right here. 
That's the cool, unique thing that God is doing in us and among us. When he takes each of us as the members of the body and we come together and we begin to mobilize as a a movement, as a force functioning for the kingdom of God. It looks different here than it looks at the church down the street. And we don't apologize for that. We celebrate the diversity in the body of Christ. We celebrate the differences of of different churches. I I don't ever want to apologize for the culture of our church. In fact, we want to defend the culture of our church. And, And as any church grows, what happens is you get new people saved, but you also get folks that that come from other churches and and join, and everybody comes with with a church culture in their mind. Everybody has an idea of how things are done. And where the Bible is dogmatic, we're going to be dogmatic. We're going to be, we're going to stick to exactly, you know, what the word says we're to do and how we're to do it. But there's, there's also room for uniqueness and diversity. And, and so as a church, we have a church culture. We have values that, that are unique to what God is doing here at Wrightsville. And we celebrate that and we love that and I'm excited about that. And so we don't apologize for that. We love the local church that God is building. And as the church grows, we're going to have to be intentional about holding on to the unique DNA of what God's called us to be. You know what? This this is who God's called us to be. These are the, the keys that God's given us for reaching our community and the surrounding area. And one of those one of those is just a core behavior for us and and I want to kind of end by talking about this today. And this is really important. One of our core behaviors as a church is, is that we create a culture of honor. I think it's so important that we have a culture of honor as a church. And I just want to tell you uh, three, three things that we honor. Uh, first is we honor the past. In fact, let me read the definition that we have. And some of you are going to take our members class in just a few weeks And when you do, uh, I'll read this to you again, but here's what it means for us to create a culture of honor. We honor those who've laid the path before us and bless those who labor among us as we embrace a new generation before us. We honor the past, we honor those here with us, and we honor the future of what God is doing. I've been thinking a lot in preparation for this series about the past of this church. You know, it was in 1932 that this church began in the home of Mr. and Mrs. Harry Nace. 1932. They had gone and and a group of people from Wrightsville had experienced the power of the Holy Spirit. They'd experienced the baptism and speaking in tongues. and, And they had this conviction that we need a Pentecostal church in Wrightsville. So in 1932, they started gathering at the Nace home. And they started meeting and praying and studying the Bible and seeking the baptism in the Holy Spirit. I'm so grateful that there was some people with a vision that Wrightsville needed a spirit filled church. I don't know about you, but I'm still pretty convinced that Wrightsville needs a spirit filled church. That, that we need a Pentecostal church. We need a place that people can come in and we can lay hands on the sick and they shall recover. We need a place where people can come in and hear God speak prophetically a word that they needed to hear in that moment. We need a Pentecostal church. And they believe that. So we're, we're committed as a church. Here's one of our values. We're committed to being culturally relevant and uncompromisingly Pentecostal. That's that's a core value for us. That we're not going to get stuck. We're not going to label Pentecostalism as the way we used to do church. 
Like Pentecostal is not a certain song that they rev up and then everybody gets Pentecostal. Pentecostalism is not speaking in King James English. Pentecostalism isn't the size of your Bible or how high the bun on your head goes. Talking about what's biblical. We want to be culturally relevant and uncompromisingly Pentecostal. We want to be Holy Spirit sensitive. We want to be aware of what the Spirit of God wants to do in the church. I thank God for men like Harry Nace who opened his home and said, why don't we come and why don't we pray and why don't we ask the Holy Spirit to move? I thank God for men like Reverend Warren C. Anthony who founded this church. I'm thankful that in 1935, this church became affiliated with the Assemblies of God, the the largest Pentecostal fellowship in the world. The largest Pentecostal movement in the world. In 1935, they aligned themselves with the Assemblies of God. And when they did that, they aligned themselves with 16 fundamental truths. And I want to tell you, from 1935 till today, none of that has changed. We are tethered to a foundational doctrine of what we believe. You can go to our website today, rightsfieldchurch.com, and you can look at a tab called What We Believe, and you'll see those same 16 fundamental truths that they believed when they started this church in the 1930s. So there's things that we are radically committed to that absolutely will not change. We're committed to presenting a timeless message with timely methods. Methods change. Styles change. Churches change. But what we believe and what we preach, the word of God, never changes. It never changes. And so I I celebrate and honor those men in the past who studied the word and who aligned themselves with solid doctrine and said, you know what? We're not just going to be a a, a group of, you know, a, a cereal brand of Pentecostals, just fruits, flakes, and nuts. We, we want to be the real deal. We want to be grounded in truth. And that's what this church is all about. We want to be grounded in the truth. In the mid-1930s, they moved into the stone church, out of the home groups to the stone church. And, and you might even want to drive by it today. When you leave, you can go down uh, the Walnut Street here and you can turn right on 2nd and you'll see this old stone building sitting over there. That was the first church. And if you get to that church, you've already passed the second church because they were in that stone church in, ni- in the mid-1930s. But by 1952, in about 15 years or so, they were all ready to, to move. And they built a brand new building right down on the corner of 2nd and Chestnut. And there's a church meeting there today. They, they built a new building. They had extravagant faith. That's one of our core values as a church. Extravagant faith. Let me define it for you. We will live in full anticipation that God will do in our church those things that we are willing to believe Him for and trust Him to do. So I honor the faith of the past who went from that building then to building this building. Does anybody here remember when this building was a young building? Yeah, Bob and Diane back there do. But I'm going to tell you, the way we honor the past is not by sitting around and reflecting on yesteryear. It's by grabbing a hold of and tapping into the faith they expressed. It's standing on the shoulders of those believers and reaching for the future. Of saying, you know, the things that God did are awesome. And we want to honor that by not stopping 
By not just sitting around and going, well, it was so good what God did. Let's just keep doing it again. As the church becomes more and more irrelevant to the community that it lives in. God wants us to honor the past. God also wants us to honor the present. To honor one another. The Bible says, consider one another better than yourselves. Consider each other better than yourself. So we, we honor one another. We esteem one another. We value each other. And it's not based on uh, your wardrobe and whether you're wearing a suit or you know whether you're wearing an old worn out t-shirt. It, it doesn't matter. When you come into here, we, we step out of the economy of first, second, and third class and we step into the economy of citizens of the kingdom of God. We are all joint heirs with Jesus. You are loaded today. Amen? That wasn't in my notes, but I could stay there a while. So we look at each other as the body of Christ. Join heirs with Jesus. Here's another thing that we honor in our culture as a church. We honor spiritual leaders. Here's what the Bible says. Those who preach the gospel, 1 Corinthians 9.14, those who preach the gospel should receive their living from the gospel. I I just want to brag on the church. This church has honored me and my family that I'm able to fully devote myself to the work of the ministry. I I can serve this church full time with all of my heart, soul, and strength because this church has has honored me in this biblical way. I don't have to go and put in 40 plus hours and then try and work out a sermon for the weekend real quick because the church has honored me. And I want to I want to do something. I know it's 12 o'clock, but I want to do something today that I think is is appropriate for this moment at the beginning of our series. But I also think it's very significant that we do it today. Um, Next Sunday, Ron Rhodes, who's preached last week, is going to be celebrating 20 years of evangelistic ministry. That's awesome. Yeah. By the way. How many of you were here last week and enjoyed the word that Ron preached? Man, I, I, I logged on online and listened to it. That was a great message. Man, remember my change. Powerful word. He, he's been such a blessing. In my, I've actually known Ron for a long time now. I didn't do the math, but it's been a while. And I know it's been a while because the first time I ever led worship in an adult worship service from the piano, I knew four chords and I wore them out. It was during a revival and evangelist Ron Rhodes was the guest speaker for the revival. And so I, I know I've been leading worship for over 16 years. So that's, that's, been, a, that's been a while. And so I, I, can, I, I can just think back on how many times I've been personally blessed by his ministry. And, and I've seen God bless the churches that I've, I've been a part of. Uh, and he's preached at every church I've been a part of. In fact, as the Lord would have it, he used to be a youth pastor at uh, before he went onto the evangelistic field, he was a youth pastor, and and when I moved to Texas, I ended up being a youth pastor at the same exact church. I preached, I followed him in his pulpit there uh, several years later. But just cool how how God's done that. And and uh, Ron, I want to ask you and Heather to come up here. You know, this is their home church now, and I am thrilled about that. They made the move to Pennsylvania from Texas uh, just a couple months ago. And, uh, you know, I, I grew up in the home of an evangelist. My dad was an evangelist for several years. And, uh, man, I, I don't know if they're going to say anything or even know about the significance at the church you're preaching next week. 
But I know being an evangelist sometimes can be a lonely trek. It looks glamorous on Sunday when you come in and you deliver the word. But, man, it's also good to have a church family. Amen? And so I thought, I, I know he's going to be here this week. And the next several weeks he's out preaching and we won't see him for a while probably. And so we just, we just wanted to, to celebrate what God's doing in, in your ministry. And, and I, I got some stuff here. I want you to hear this. 20 years of ministry in 44 states. In over 50, 55 countries. Now, he, he was here last week, so some of y'all know he just finished the 40th soccer salvation camp. 40 soccer salvation camp. E- each one of those has a budget, yeah. Each one of those has a budget of like $20,000 that God has just supernaturally provided time and time again so that they can keep doing these. He's flown 2.75 million miles to tell people about Jesus. That's awesome. That's awesome. And this probably feels awkward to you guys, but I'm having fun right now. That's incredible to me. Let me tell you something you don't know, maybe, about Ron, if you're just getting to know him. He's a great cook. He's a really good cook. So if you ever get to have dinner with him, do it at his house, not yours. No, he's, he's a great cook. And so, Dave, I want you to come up here. We, we have a gift basket that we wanted to give to you as just a way of of saying we love you and we want to celebrate with you what God has done. And because you're such a great cook and you're a foodie, uh, there's a, a gift card in there for one of the best restaurants in this area. I don't know if you've tried it yet, but the Accomac Inn right here in Wrightsville. Anybody ever been there before? Great food. So there's, there's a, I'll take this, yeah. So here's a gift basket for you. And it's got all kinds of treats and food in there. And, uh, hey, I'll, I'll hug you. You can hold the basket. And we want to give you just a, a love offering as a way of saying that we love you and, and we're excited about what God's doing in, in your life and in your ministry. You know, the Bible says in Ephesians 4 that God has given gifts to the church. Pastors, evangelists, apostles, prophets, and teachers. That's God's gift to the church. And, and, Having an evangelist call this church home is a gift to us. And, and so we just celebrate that. And I'm not the only one that wants to honor you today. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to grab a mic here. And I'm going to give this to your wife. Thank you. Okay, everybody, especially my husband knows this is not my favorite thing to do, to spe- stand up here and speak. So um, I was really talking with God yesterday about what I wanted to say about the ministry and just trying to feel like fill all of these different categories I had in my mind about what I thought I needed to say. So God was just telling me to just speak to my husband as the minister and just pretend y'all aren't here. So, <laughs> so I have a couple of things I want to say. Sorry, I have to write it down. Good idea. Okay. Um, I wrote, I immediately began searching for more obvious scriptures about honor when I was thinking about what I'd like to say about the ministry. However, God led me to 1 Peter 3, verses 8 and 9. And it says, Finally, all of you be like-minded, be sympathetic, love one another, be compassionate and humble. Do not repay evil with evil or insult with insult. On the contrary, repay evil with blessing, because to this you were called, so that, many, so that you may inherit a blessing. There are many reasons why I could tell you why I think this ministry has endured for 20 years. Thousands of people throughout the years have no doubt been touched and ministered, 
by your life stories, your relatable humor, and the anointed way that God has gifted you to communicate his word through preaching of the gospel. But I've had the opportunity to see you in ways that many people who show up at a church service don't always get to see. Be like-minded and sympathetic. Love one another. Be compassionate and humble. Out of the two of us, you're sweet and I'm sassy. (laughs) You're sweet. I'm salty. You're sweet and I'm sour. Getting the pattern. (laughs) I'm always usually the first one to say, oh, you're fine. Or they asked for it. Oh, well. But you're someone whose heart always immediately goes out to everyone in whatever situation they may be dealing with. You love with all that you have and many times take on a much heavier burden because the weight that others carry becomes your own. You're always the first to offer your help, your prayers, and your love. You make sure that everyone you come in contact with feels valued and appreciated. You take care of yourself last with no complaints. Your humility defines you. Whether you are speaking on a stage in front of thousands or kneeling in the dirt to feed an orphan child, you are the same. The man people meet at an important event is the same man I know at home. You are always quick to love and quick to welcome. You find the best in everyone. You draw out their strengths and always encourage. You rejoice with those who rejoice and you weep with those who weep. Verse 9 says, do not repay evil with evil or insult with insult. On the contrary, repay evil with blessing, because to this you were called so that you may inherit a blessing. I admire many things about you, but one thing that has made a huge impression on my life is to watch your integrity in action. Above all else, you strive to please the Lord and to respond and react in ways that give him honor. I see you continually treat others with love and respect when many would rather have the last word or try to find an opportunity to come out on top. You treat your calling with the utmost respect, and your goal is being godly excellence in all that you do. You are confident and know how to walk boldly in the gifts that God has given you, yet you are quick to seek the wisdom of godly counsel. You lead lovingly, but always submit to those that are placed in leadership over you. You are blessed because you bless others, and God honors you because you honor him and worship him in spirit and in truth. You humble yourself before the Lord. This ministry has been a success for 20 years, not because of who Ron Rhodes is as a minister and a preacher, but who Ron Rhodes is as a man and a child of God. I honor you and respect you, not only as your wife, someone who could have had reason to differentiate between man and minister, but I also honor you for the man of God you are, because I'm blessed and highly favored to know that they are one and the same. The next chapter of 1 Peter says, Above all else... Love each other deeply because love washes over a multitude of sins. Your love for Jesus, your ministry, and for people runs deep. 20 years of loving others because of how deeply the Lord loves us. Come on, that's awesome. That's awesome. That's awesome. Man. Listen, I'm hoping this will buy me a couple extra minutes with you. We've got some cake back there to celebrate Ron's uh, 20 years in ministry. And uh, so before we leave today, um, we want to invite you. We'll have some coffee and cake back there and refreshments. Listen, life is short. You can have dessert first today. All right? And, and, uh, and so, Ron, we love you, man. Thank you so much for investing in the work and for investing in this church. man. Your family already. Amen. Praise God. 
All right, now I need just a couple more minutes from you to emphasize something that we're so excited about, and that's that we've honored the past, and we do need to honor one another today, but we need to honor the future. And and I've mentioned to the church back in our annual business meeting, and we've kind of talked about this uh, several times during the the previous Sundays, that we're going to be gearing up to do some things strategically as a church to reach forward to what God has for us. And so I just want to take a couple of minutes to tell you what we're going to do. Today, we're going to be starting, uh, in conjunction with our I Love My Church series, we're going to be starting an I Love My Church financial campaign. And I want to tell you what that's for. Uh, you know, God has blessed us in the last uh, almost three years. I keep saying two and a half out of habit, but I think we're closer to three than two and a half now. Uh, that I've been here. God's blessed this church and we've been able to renovate our, our children's ministry space upstairs. And last year we completely renovated the foyer. And, uh, and we have been looking at uh, our sanctuary, just wanting to update it and, and, and make ministry as excellent as we can as a church family. And so we've looked at what that would entail. Obviously, it's the most significant and largest space in the church. And it would be a big project to just completely renovate a space this size. And so what we're wanting to do as a church is we're going to uh, renovate this sanctuary, but we're going to do it in two or three phases. And so uh, today, I just want to tell you about phase one. What we're planning to do uh, here in this first phase is we want to renovate everything uh, that you spend you know, 90 plus percent of the Sunday morning looking at. So everything on the stage, up this direction. And we're going to take uh, the next several weeks... We're going to pray in just a moment, and I'm going to ask each of you that are a part of this church to ask the Lord what he would have you to do. This is aside from missions or, or your tithe and offering, but to say, God, what would you want me to do here? How can I sacrifice towards honoring the future of this church? Praise God for what we have. This is a beautiful church, so let me just say that now, lest anyone think that we're... Uh, unhappy with what God has blessed us with. This is a beautiful church and a beautiful sanctuary. But we want to honor forward what God is wanting to do. And so I want you to pray in just a moment with me about what God would have you to do uh, towards this project. And in a moment, we're going to pass out some little cards that uh, that are just something you can write on. And this is for really one purpose. It serves as a reminder for you, but uh, it's also going to give us uh, an opportunity to hear collectively what the Spirit of God is saying to the church. And I'll tell you, for this first phase, here's the goal. We're believing that God's going to help us to raise $25,000 by June 5th. Now, let me tell you what that's going to do. We're going to try to raise that money in that amount of time, and we will, by the grace of God. But uh, we're going to be updating our stage. We're going to make it more conducive uh, for for our worship uh, style with with musicians and bands and, and as we continue to pray God's going to bring more musicians and and as you can see now with the riser there all the big instruments are on the front half of the stage and so we really can't utilize the back for much and so we want to just redesign the stage so that it's more accommodating uh, for our worship we also want to replace the wood paneling and the the wallpaper up here and, and put a new surface on the stage to make it look nice we're going to get rid of the portable 
video projector screen. And we're going to have a nice installed uh, screen, a professional screen that looks great. We're going to get a, a more high-powered video projector so that when we uh, put the scriptures on the screen, it's bright and it's vivid. And when we put the lyrics to the worship songs on the screen, everyone can see it clearly. This is all in that first uh, $25,000. We're going to install new lighting up here. Uh, you can't see them from there, but there's uh, a couple floodlights that are shining on me right now to help you see me. We're going to put in professional lighting so that the, the stage, and now I can't see you because I looked at those lights. <laughs> We're going to put uh, controlled, uh, dimmable, theatrical lighting uh, in here, stage lighting on the stage uh, to help us again uh, to just uh, make everything look excellent and to enhance the visual aspect of our worship gatherings uh, that we come together. With that, we're going to be upgrading the computer system back there. Uh, we're running on a, a PC that's uh, a few years old, and we're going to be upgrading uh, the computer programs to uh, an iMac computer so that we can handle all of the software and all of the things uh, that, that go with the Bible verses and the lyrics and the videos that we play. We're also going to be installing a professional uh, video camera uh, so that we can start broadcasting our church services over the web. We're already set up on our website to be able to do it. Uh, we just don't have the equipment to do it. And I want to tell you why I, I think uh, that's really important. Well, I'll tell you in just a minute. Let me tell you something else we're going to do. We're going to get a, a brand new cross for the front of the church. We're going to update that. We're going to get a beautiful cross that is LED backlit. It's going to be beautiful. We're also going to be um, you know, refinishing... Uh, along with refinishing these walls up front, we're going to be building a brand new sound booth back there because as, as the church has expanded in, in what we're doing, we need to create a space for the audio board, for the lighting board, and for the video board. And, and with that, by the way, we need people that, that have a heart to serve the church that, that like doing things with technology. Even if you, you don't know the program, we can train you, but it's, it's an important part of our worship, as you've seen in this whole service. As I'm talking and the scriptures are on the screen, we need a volunteer in every service that's helping us back there. And uh, oftentimes, you know, Jim's running back and forth doing a whole lot. And so this is not all structural things. As, as God's leading the church forward, we're going to all have to lean into what he's doing. But that's one area of ministry that is going to be drastically improved. Uh, as as we finish this first phase. And I want to just quickly tell you why I think that's so important. You know, statistics say 75 to 90% of people who visit a church go to the website first. So almost 9 out of 10 people, that means before they come to Wrightsville Assembly of God, the curb appeal is not 365 Orange Street. The curb appeal is wrightsvillechurch.com. And so if they're looking for a church and they want to know what that church is like, they're going to click on our website and they're going to see everything in the video screen. And it's going to, it's going to be fresh, it's going to be new, it's going to be beautiful. And they're going to hear our worship team and they're going to hear us proclaim the word of God and they're going to see our sensitivity to the spirit of God. And then they're going to be drawn to drive through the back of a neighborhood they've never been through before and find this church right over here on 4th and Orange Street. Because they've already seen it and been to it before. And so that, that's going to be an important aspect of what, what we want to accomplish. Now, I want to just tell you some of the 
some of the things in phase two and phase three. We're not there yet, but as we move forward, we're going to finish drywalling the rest of the room here. We'll get rid of all the, the paneling. We've already done the back wall, the bottom half of it. We need to do the top half of it, and we need to finish out uh, the room just to give a fresh look and a fresh coat of paint uh, in here. We're going to be updating the sanctuary lighting when we get to phase two and phase three. We'll be uh, putting in uh, newer fixtures on the ceiling and on the wall sconces that, again, will be uh, controllable uh, LED lights. They'll be energy efficient. They'll, they'll add aesthetically to the church, but they'll also be an economical benefit to us in the long run. And so uh, another thing we're going to be uh, doing in uh, later phases, we're going to be expanding our, our seating capacity. I'm so glad to have you guys back there uh, with us this morning. Never met you before, and I apologize you're sitting on metal folding chairs. But, you know, praise God that, that we're starting to fill the church up. And so we want to get new seating, and we're going to replace, uh, we're going to expand the capacity here by replacing the pews with, uh, with about 150 uh, high-quality church chairs uh, that will allow us uh, to use this space to its fullest capacity. And so that's down the road. But let me just tell you quickly before, before we pray how God's already moving and how God's already blessing some of these things. Uh, you know, we were looking at the computer. We really need a, a strong workhorse machine uh, to do all the stuff in the service because we live in such a tech-saturated culture that there's just really not much grace for technology glitches, right? I mean, you just, like, get it right. I mean, I got a 55-inch TV in my house. You know, we expect technology to do what it's supposed to do. I don't, by the way, have a 55-inch TV in my house, but that was hypothetical. I'm still stuck at 42, but if you want to... Never mind. So we're looking at a $2,400 computer. And, uh, and then God opened an a, a opportunity for us, a, a, a resource, a connection, that we're able to get the exact machine that we need for $800. And so we thought, man, praise God, that's awesome. So we've already, you know, God's blessed us and saved us over $1,000 right there. The tech booth that's going to be built, uh, we've, we've already had someone that said, I'll donate the, the materials and my time in labor, I'll build it for you. The only thing that we're going to pay for is the countertop, the desktop that we, the workspace is done for. So praise God. That's going to be done just because of the goodness of the people of God that want to serve. Uh, we, we got three different bids from uh, professional light installing companies to come in and, and do all the lighting and do the video. And I want to tell you, each of those three bids that came in included thousands of dollars in uh, man hours in just labor cost, thousands of dollars tacked onto the cost of the materials, which maybe you would expect. But, but God's again favored us as I was talking with a friend of mine from Texas who is a manager for a professional lighting company. They go in and they install lighting for shows and expos and events. It's what he does for a, a living. I was telling him what we're going to do. He said, if you'll buy my ticket and fly me up there, I'll donate a week of my vacation. I'll come in and install it all for you. I thought, man, that awesome. Praise God. Praise God. And so God wants to favor the church if we'll walk in extravagant faith and we'll lean into what he wants to do. So here's what we're going to do as we close and we're going to cut the